Extraordinary Terrestrials, Chapter 41, Distrust. Maddie inhaled deeply as she stepped out of Steville Hall. The afternoon air was warm and sweet. Classmates filed out on either side of her. She remained stationary, absorbing. Today she began her internship at the bog. Tomorrow was the day they would be jailbreaking Karen. She should have been hurrying over to the bog by now, but for the moment Maddie relished the familiar sense of electricity in the air. It was the same feeling she'd had nearly a year ago, the night she and Tripp unearthed Jack Karen's body. She entertained the notion of all of Jack's chemical makeup, his fluids and remaining memories seeping into the moss over the years before he'd been discovered. Chemicals and concepts which eventually seeped into Tripp's brain and dreams. Heck had said there was nothing left of Jack after he died, Maddie begged to differ. Maddie considered, if a portion of Jack's sentience could survive in Trip, what kind of sentience lived in Karen now? It wasn't just Heck. There were others. Animals, possibly even plants, the living organism of the bog. But the bog wasn't just a living organism. It also contained the dead. Dead moss dead bodies, human and animal. Humans and other animals, Maddie corrected herself. Do you have another question for me? Maddie started at the sound of her advisor's voice. She had just met with the psychology professor to review her plans for the upcoming fall semester. Professor Court, a sardonic woman who was aging nicely into her late forties, seemed to enjoy Maddie's enthusiasm. Perhaps too much. The professor's expectations made Maddie almost as nervous as her own expectations for the future. Maybe, Maddie replied. Not really one I can put into words yet. You have an interesting lineup of classes, Professor Court noted. I'm excited to see what you do with your degrees. They began to walk. Maddie had attended classes with the professor before her hiatus from college but she was somewhat uncomfortable talking to the woman outside of the lecture or office environment. She wondered where Professor Court was going, if they were walking in the same direction. As am I, she replied, though I couldn't tell you the first thing of what that will be. Professor Court laughed heartily. You're well on your way, Maddie, she replied. Then she lowered her voice. Hell, you're probably more on your way than any of these freshmen. Poor things. Ask any of the professors on campus. Well, maybe not the ones in the business school, but ask anyone else and they'll tell you there's something deeply flawed with pressuring 18-year-old kids into tens of thousands of dollars of debt with the expectation that they know what they want to do with the rest of their life. There's nothing wrong with how you're going about it, you know, taking a break, figuring it out later in the game, hand-tailoring your own major. I wish more students tried it that way. It shows courage. I wish my friend were here. He could use that kind of talk, Maddie commented, realizing it was a strange thing to say to someone who has never met Trip. 
Well, you didn't hear it from me. I work for the guys, Professor Court muttered out of the side of her mouth. Maddie contributed her own laughter. She suddenly wanted to impress the professor. I do have a question, she replied, thinking of something that crossed her mind daily. Though I think any person I ask would answer differently. And that is? Professor Court pocketed her hands. From a psychological perspective, what do you think differentiates humans from all other animals? Professor Court chuckled and lagged a few steps back. That doesn't sound like a question to me, she replied. That sounds like a thesis. It became Maddie's turn to lag behind, realizing how right her professor was. Bud, tomorrow you will have a job no one has ever had before, said Tripp. Okay, Bud listened close, but with doubt. The way Tripp said it made him think of when Nana or Gramps tried to make a chore sound like fun. You will have the duty of mind controller, Tripp continued. Upon hearing these words, Bud's enthusiasm quadrupled. He still felt he should question it. What do you mean? Tripp glanced around the hospital room as if looking for eavesdroppers. Bud helped, observing no one but Karen, who looked more aware than usual. Tripp leaned in and lowered his tone. Tomorrow, I need you to convince everyone that I am more interesting and more important than Karen escaping the hospital. I'll serve as a distraction. I'll need help, Karen cut in. Tripp sat back up, remembering her. I can't walk there. Not the whole way. Certainly not. That's where Maddie comes in, Tripp explained to her. Bud noted a hint of disdain in Karen's features. Her? she asked. We don't get along. You'll have to, Tripp asserted. She's doing you a favor. Karen's eyes narrowed. Bud found it disconcerting to see Karen so awake. Most of his recent visits she'd been either sedated or sleeping. Can she be trusted? she asked. Bud often wondered the same thing about Tripp's friend. He wanted to like Maddie, but sometimes her ideas reminded Bud of stories Gramps and Nana had told him about his own mother. Mischief and fun were the contents of the stories, but Bud knew all those stories had the same ending. A lonely boy being raised by his grandparents. A father somewhere, uninterested in custody paying child support without ever knowing his child. A mother who abandoned a child for the preservation of her own childhood. Yes, Tripp answered, bringing Bud back to the less unpleasant present. The response had been unconvincing, made even more so with Tripp frowning to himself. He seemed confused. She can be trusted. I... Bud hung on the words, waiting for Tripp to finish his sentence for him to say, I trust her. Tripp was unable to complete the thought out loud. Bud thought he would get satisfaction out of knowing Tripp himself didn't trust Maddie, but instead it made him anxious and sad. 
Tripp should trust Maddie. She was his best friend, after all. That is, his best friend next to Bud. Trip? Bud asked. He hated to see him like this, so he decided to return the favor of bringing him back to the less unpleasant present. Trip snapped back to attention. Yes? Yes, so Maddie will transport Karen to the bog while I distract all the people who wouldn't want Karen to escape. Trip took a breath. What is key is that Karen and Maddie are not noticed, so it is your job, Bud, to convince everyone, everyone, that I am who they need to pay attention to. Understood? Almost, Bud frowned. I mean, I can't control minds just like that. I need to practice. And of course, I'll be sure to do something very distracting. I just haven't decided on what yet. I'll know what to do in the moment. Tripp stated this with markedly more confidence than when he'd been discussing Maddie's trustworthiness. All the same, Bud found comfort in this last declaration. Okay, good. Hopefully, Karen and Maddie can get to the car quickly. Tripp trailed off, giving Karen an uncomfortable glance. Bud realized he was referring to her size and strength, which had diminished so quickly over the past few months. This statement went unnoticed by Karen who seemed to have left the room. Bud did a double take, unsure what about her had changed. Karen had been there, talking with them, and now she was simply someone else. She didn't look any different, but Bud could tell. He didn't know why he could tell. It gave him goosebumps. Jack trusted me, the woman said to herself, but very clearly and sadly. Keep in mind, Trip. Karen won't be the only one traveling with Maddie tomorrow. I can help make her seem like someone else. Someone other than Karen, I mean. Trip nodded, then gave Bud a nervous look, as if there was something he didn't want him to know. Bud hated that look. Adults were always giving him that look. He understood Trip's apprehension. The woman in the bed was giving him the willies, but it only made him want to know more. We're going to Jack's cabin tonight. Meet me at Churchy's at 8. Maddie was just leaving the bog when she got Tripp's message. For some reason, the bog never harbored good phone reception. As she sat on the asphalt of Blueberry Lane, changing from her muddy boots to her sneakers, she wondered how things would have happened differently if there were reception in the bog. Perhaps they never would have lost track of Jack's body if they hadn't had to leave the site to call the police. Heading out, Matilda? Heller's jarring voice brought Maddie back to the present. She looked up, noting his looming figure over her. His question confused her. Six-thirty's when everyone heads out, isn't it? She asked, rising to her feet. Well, the interns, yes. Usually. Heller gave an unseemly grin. It did not fit his face. He leaned in and spoke quieter. Ah. Reynolds and I will be staying on into the evening. We have some, uh, well, some preparations to make, if you will. 
preparations? Maddie smirked, egging him on. Tomorrow evening, you and a select few other interns have been asked to be present. Heller grew serious. There will be some, well, some extracurricular research and experiments, if you will. Reynolds and I will be needing some extra hands and eyes. Are you in? He was giving her a cold, clammy feeling. Maddie didn't want to say yes, but her cooperation was crucial. Yes, of course, she replied. Heller smiled again. Good. Excellent. He clasped his hands together, pleased. We hope to make a special discovery tomorrow. But we don't want to be discovered while doing so, if you get what I mean. I think I do. I'm saying, don't invite any friends. Heller's smile turned to a sneer. In fact, don't even dare tell anyone about it. He was standing too close for comfort. Maddie caught a strong whiff of gingivitis and noticed the acne scars flecking his hollow cheeks. She took a step back. Of course not, she replied. He nodded briskly and turned away. See you tomorrow, he stated, too chipper. Maddie watched his hunched and disliked figure go, marveling how someone could be so simultaneously dramatic and unconvincing. Idiot, she murmured. What? Reynolds inquired, passing her. Oh, nothing. You staying on tomorrow for the evening project? Reynolds asked, loud enough for all the interns to hear. Yeah. Maddie grew confused. There was always such great incongruence between Reynolds and Heller's tones, almost as if they were talking about completely different things. Good, excellent, Reynolds replied. She rolled her eyes. Maybe you can help me think of a solution that is far less stupid than what Heller is suggesting. What's he suggesting? Reynolds seemed to become aware of her surroundings and lowered her voice. Oh, just you wait. You'll see. Still facing Maddie, Reynolds started walking away backwards. She shook her head in exasperation. It's a real treasure, this idea of his. She turned away, and Maddie heard Reynolds quietly echo her previous observation. Idiot. The other interns gradually dispersed until Maddie found herself alone and able to focus her attentions on Tripp's message again. She wondered what had happened that afternoon to make a venture out to Jack's cabin suddenly necessary. As she sat on the warm asphalt, a single peeper began its inquiring song, the first of the year. It was joined by another and another. Maddie closed her eyes, letting the sound melt her thoughts into a cool tingling in the back of her head. When she'd first arrived at the bog that day, she'd been frightened. It was only natural, considering the last time she'd set foot there. But in daylight, the bog was almost a different place, a place where the closer you looked, the more everything seemed like another smaller world. Crouching down and gazing into the moss, Maddie could imagine a miniature version of herself wandering the vast and damp forests, discovering one enchanting life form after another, living things from previous ages in time. She inhaled. It had rained earlier that day. The bog had an intoxicating fragrance. 
Maddie had forgotten how good things smelled outside after a warm rain. After so much time spent indoors during the winter months, in lecture halls, classrooms, dorms, department stores, and cars, the smell of the outdoors was easy to forget. Not that she'd spent the past winter in any of those places. Maddie felt a drop on her cheek and opened her eyes. It was raining again. Light rain. The smell of water on the pavement was equally heady, satisfyingly gritty, like Churchy's hardware store. Maddie smiled. She could spend all day in the hardware store, smelling the mulch, the potting soil, gasoline, and something else. Trip. Trip's smell, a mixture of the hardware store and his house. Whenever Maddie walked into Tripp's house, she was met by the scent of aging apples, not fermented yet, just sweetly on the edge. That farmhouse smell was always there, even when the apples weren't. She marveled a moment on the sense of smell, letting the raindrops spot her shirt and the skin of her hands. Smell had an unnoticed power. A smell could bring a person to you could bring a moment back, a feeling, a tear to one's eye, a smile. Many animals relied heavily on their sense of smell. Humans used it to remember, usually without even realizing it. Maddie stirred herself back to the time. 6.36 p.m. Something would happen tonight. She'd known it all day. A flutter of nervousness in her lower abdomen brought Maddie back to her feet and sent her hurrying to her car. On a spring night nearly a year ago, she'd had a similar feeling, but it had been much more playful and fun. She'd felt it before finding a dead body, nearly dying in a fire, before someone she loved had nearly drowned in sentient mud in pursuit of someone they hardly knew, as someone who no longer existed as she had before. It had all happened in this bog, these trees, this moss. Maddie hit the gas and hurried away. The electricity she felt tonight was far less innocent than how she'd felt last spring. She didn't know if she liked this electricity. Karen lay alone in her room, her eyes moving beneath her eyelids. Her body stirred and sat up, the eyes and the mouth opening, the voice letting out several repetitions of the spring peeper's call. Nurses, doctors, and other hospital staff passed her locked door, hearing but not noticing. They had learned to tune it out, to neither understand nor care. But the peeper continued its call as the rain fell outside, hoping another would answer the monosyllabic question.
Extraordinary Terrestrials is written, read, and recorded by Miriam Rumkunis. All piano music was written and performed by Jonas Rumkunis. All public domain organ music was performed by John Rumkunis. All other music was written and performed by Miriam Rumkunis. Needless to say, all rights reserved. Tune in every Thursday for the next chapter. The spring peepers heard at the beginning of this chapter were recorded in South Berwick, Maine, by Freesound user Bud Gillette. A link to their recording is in the show notes. If you like what you hear, please leave ratings and reviews for Extraordinary Terrestrials on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and Libsyn. To get a shout-out from Churchy, you can contribute to the podcast's Patreon, which is linked in the show notes. You can also follow the podcast and tell your friends on Facebook and Twitter, as well as the website, extraordinaryterrestrialspodcast.com. Lastly, go outside! As a podcaster, it's surprisingly easy to come to terms with the fact that people listen to things other than podcasts. Like music. Most of us are guilty of enjoying music. Especially live music. And when everyone is guilty of something, it's good to know that while enjoying the indulgence of live music, there's the option to reduce carbon emissions. That's what Reverb is doing. Reverb is a nonprofit that works to put on tours and performances that are as green as possible. The organization works with musicians, venues, and fans alike to protect the environment while music is being made and enjoyed. To learn more, visit reverb.org. At the very least, Go outside. Thanks for listening.